Hi, everybody. Another No Frills Wolves podcast. This is the second of our two-part season preview set of podcasts. Uh, Justin Chardonnier, Ben Beacon. Hello, Ben. How's it going? Doing fine. Is you sound uh, you sound a little wired. I am. I am wired. I'm. Uh, you know, we uh, just finished doing part one and, and coming off of a big preseason finale win on Friday night. I'm pretty amped for the season to get going. And I think your your blood coffee level is about four percent. Yes, it's it's uh the more we talk wolves basketball, the, the more that increases. Um, yeah, you cups. You, well, to, to borrow a Paul Allen, it's uh, we're looking for the first loss, but we just can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a Vikings fan, so I'm not gonna not gonna give you too much there. Fair enough. No, uh, I think it'll be fairly soon, but you know, we'll, we'll go with it now when we're zero and zero. For my part, I've got uh, two cats in the, uh, in the recording room here with me who are very demanding. One of them in particular wants me to keep, uh, to give her a stomach rub uh, while that's, we're doing here, so hopefully you can't hear that too much. Yeah, that sounds distracting. <laughs> well, it's, it's okay, though. She just keeps rolling over. Uh, anyway, we did, the in the first part, we ran through the whole roster and talked about uh, what we hope and expect to see from each of the members of that roster, so let's put it together with a few more general questions about the team, get into some team awards, uh, what we think the best and worst case scenarios are and uh, figure out how many wins we think this team is going to have. And, and I'll tell you right now, I haven't I haven't arrived at my number yet. So I'm going to have to do that while we go through the show here and just be thinking about it. Um, so uh, just a, a random set of questions here. How long will rookie Rubio be with this team? Um, well, I'll, I'll let you start on that one. Okay. Uh, my gut tells me next summer. Uh, I, I think that I think that there's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think that that Thibodeau obviously thinks very highly of Chris Dunn. It'd be crazy to think that he doesn't. Um, but I also think he's he's a reasonable basketball man, and, and he knows what he's doing. And Scott Layden's going to be the level-headed one in the front office to to kind of put some checks and balances on the process. So I I, I don't think Rubio's traded this year I, during the season. I just think they want to they want to go to the playoffs. Uh, you know, and if if you believe Tibbs and Layden when they tell you that they don't have a goal in relation to that. Uh, you know, you know, don't believe them. Um, they obviously want to go to the playoffs, and they're not going to do it with Chris Dunn starting at point guard. However, my gut still tells me that that you know they do feel he's the point guard of the future. Rubio next season will be 27, and, and starting to head towards the end of his prime. Um, he's you know he's been playing pro basketball since he was 14, so I could see them you know testing the trade market all year, hoping Rubio has a great year and his assist numbers go up, you know, with better players around him, and they can get better value for him around the draft or or in free agent or uh, during the free agency period next year, uh, next summer. Uh, if it were me, you know, unless Dunn is just insanely good this year, obviously I hang on to Rubio longer because he's I think he's a top 10 or 11 point guard in the league. Uh, but you know, if if Dunn's amazing, you know, fine. If you can give good value for Rubio, that's you know that's what this is all about, right? Right. No, I, I think there. I, I haven't arrived at a thought on this yet. I mean, I think if you had the bet today, I'd have to say it's a better than 50% chance that he would be not the point guard of the future. But I think that could change depending on how this year goes. I think Thibodeau's open to it, and I think he's been very wise to not change the roster too much in this first offseason to see what he has up close. And that yep. makes sense. We talked in the previous podcast about whether Dunn and Rubio can play together, and I think both of us shared the opinion that possibly they could, but not right now because neither one can shoot, and Dunn would have to improve his shot. So 
You know, possibly, uh, but you know, I do think you need to have two good point guards in your team if you want to make a, a good run in, in, the, in the playoffs. Or, you know, the second one has to be decent. He, I think Rubio would get some some good uh, trade value, but it's only to a certain set of teams. There are, yes. there, there are a good number of teams that just, they, they probably like him, but they don't, wouldn't think he would fit what they want to do. But the ones who do fit, and you hear Sacramento, you hear uh, Jason Kidd in Milwaukee, you hear Dallas sometimes, a few of those, um, where they, they, they're quite interested. And, you know, uh, so I think that's possible. If I had to bet, I would say probably the next offseason as well, but it would not surprise me if he's here longer. Yeah, it, it is really weird. That's a good point that you bring up. He Rubio is such a unique case, and I think I see people talk about this often on the Wolves' Twitter sphere and blogosphere, if you will, about how Rubio's value may be higher to the team he's actually on than it is on the trade market, <laughs> right. if that, that makes any sense. But I think a big part of that is because there's a, a, only a certain subset of teams that truly values him and thinks he's a fit for what they're trying to do as a team, uh, which is kind of crazy because you think you just want good players. But Rubio is unique in that you know he. He he's best utilized with a specific, you know, type of player around him, um, and so it, you see those savvier teams. You know, Houston's been interested in, in the past. I mean, Rubio is essentially a, a better version of Patrick Beverly in some ways, um, and so you know, Houston's been interested. Dallas, um, Sacramento, for whatever reason, has always been interested. Um, you know, Milwaukee uh, was kind of one of the more recent ones, but yeah, it's kind of the same like five or six franchises you hear that are interested. And but they know that there's probably 15 teams that wouldn't give requisite value for Rubio, and so that works as leverage for them and say, well, look, you got to deal with us, or you know, if you're Houston, you say, well, you got to deal with us or Dallas or Sacramento or Milwaukee. There's nobody else that's going to give you what you want, uh, and so that kind of messes with the trade value that you know what what the Wolves could get for Rubio. So I think that combined with the fact that Rubio is really good and Dunn's a rookie. Uh, means that Rubio is on the team longer than um, the folks at, say, the Vertical, um, at Yahoo Sports, and Adrian Wojnarowski, and those guys might think or want you to think, or Rubio's agent, which I think is where a lot of this is coming from, might want you to think. Um, he's going to be on the team probably all year, and potentially, like you said, in the next year. One thing that um, also adds to his value on the trade market is his good contract, which is always good to keep in mind. Um, yes. Let's go to the bench, which we, again, we talked about the individual players. Um, I think, you know, I think it's pretty clear who uh, Thibodeau wants his five man, uh, his next five up to be after the starters. And it's, it's Chris Dunn running the points. Uh, and then you've got Rush and Muhammad, uh, the Wings and Aldrich and uh, 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 Bielitsa at the, uh, at the, in the front court spot. So that makes perfect sense to me. Um, you know, are those your five? And then beyond that, who do you think the three players are who are not going to dress on, on a game-by-game -game basis? Yes, I think those are the five. Um, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think certainly depending on matchups to some extent. Um, but those are by and large going to be your five. And I think I think Tibbs will pretty consistently play 10 players. I don't know that he's going to shorten his rotation like, say, Rick Adelman did. Um, yeah, the starters will play heavy minutes, but he's going to go, he's going to get everybody in there. Um uh, I think beyond that, as the roster is currently constructed, you know, unless Tyus Jones has moved here in, in short order, uh, Tyus Jones and Jordan Hill are probably going to be your 11th and 12th guys, which leaves your people not dressing as Adrian Payne if he's still on the roster. Um, talk about that here in a minute. Um, and then if they keep Rasul Butler or John Lucas third, I mean, I guess technically Pekovic is, is still on the roster, and so he would be one of those that's not dressing. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I don't know that he'll be with the team, but technically that's where he'll be. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's your backup unit. Um, I think that this is certainly a deeper team than the Wolves have had since, probably since the last time they went to the playoffs. It's, it's not championship level depth, and, and I don't think anyone's suggesting that, but it is leaps and bounds better than anything we've seen, even with those Rubio Love teams were, you know, the one year they won 40 games in the lockout year when they were a 500 team, uh, until Rubio got hurt. You know, those teams were good, but they weren't deep. And, and this is, this is playoff level depth. And maybe it's, you know, the type of depth that gets you knocked out in the first round, but it's, it's better than what we've seen in a long, long time. Right. Uh, I, and I think it, that bench unit could per, fit pretty well together as well. Um, you know, it's going to depend on how done, uh, you know, how his shot is at the yep. beginning of the year. And we know, we know it's an issue, but we don't know how big an issue it is. He has not hit much in the preseason, but, uh, you know, that, that could be a, 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 a short-term streak as well. I think this group has the potential to be really interesting together. You've got Russian Yelitsa, who can provide a lot of spacing and outside shooting. Muhammad might be able to do that. As you pointed out, he took a step backward last year on three-point attempts, but he's shown he can do that in the past. Uh, and he can, you know, he provides a lot of energy. Several of these guys do. I'm interested in the Bielitsa Aldrich pick and roll and what they might be able to run together. Aldrich is a good rim protector, so you have that in there and an excellent rebounder. Um, there could be some. I, I'm just curious to see what the chemistry looks like on this unit, and I, I feel like uh, partway into the season that really could develop. Yeah, and they've gotten to play together a lot in the preseason. Um, Tibbs has done a good job of of keeping a. a Probably pretty legitimate rotation, but then also giving his bench unit some run together. I mean, there was the game in Oklahoma City six days ago where the five starters plus Boz didn't play, um, but the bench by and large got some pretty heavy minutes together. Bielitz has played a ton of minutes to get more comfortable uh, as an NBA player and also in Tibbs' system. Uh, but the Bielitz Aldrich pick and roll is very interesting. Also, Bielitz at Towns pick and roll if they you know play together some. Uh, I, I do think that Chris Dunn and Shabazz are going to be the keys. I you know. I'm confident in what Bielitsa is going to provide this year, which is kind of, it sounds funny since he didn't provide much as a rookie, but I think that it, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overemphasizing the importance of preseason, but I do think he's going to be more comfortable and he'll be a solid player. Cole Aldrich is a good player. What we don't know is what Chris Dunn will do as a rookie. And we don't know um, if Shabazz is going to play within himself and do what Thibodeau wants him to do. Um, but if those guys are what we think they can be as rookies, it's going to be a good bet. Or, sorry, Don is a rookie and, and Boz in his first year with Tibbs. Uh, it's going to be a good bench unit. Uh, and, and the biggest key to all of this is Chris Don. Mm-hmm. Who do you think are the most likely players to be moved between now and, say, the end of the season? And I'm not talking about the guys who don't make the roster to begin with, of course. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say Payne is quite likely to be gone in some form. I think Jones and Muhammad, maybe Jones a little bit more, have some have some likelihood because I, I, I just don't know that Jones fits into the way that uh, Thibodeau wants to play. And he's got three guys there uh, where he's where Jones is just not going to get playing time behind Rubio and Dunn. He's got a guy, as you mentioned, that he has played, he's worked with before, and John Lucas III, who he'd probably be comfortable with in a pinch if he needs to, and Zach Levine can play a little bit of it. So, uh, you know, and, and, and Jones also has some trade value now, uh, having come off a really nice summer league season. He's obviously got some skills. He just might not fit what uh, Thibodeau wants to do. So uh, those are the guys that stand out to me the most. Yeah, I don't think Payne makes the roster. I think that if if 
Tibbs and Layden can convince Glenn Taylor to, to eat the cash, I think that they'll waive him. Um, you know, I, I don't think they'll be able to trade him. So I don't think Payne makes the roster. Uh, they're going to want that flexibility to have that spot. Um, I think that you're right. I think Tyus Jones and Shabazz Muhammad are the two most likely to be moved, slightly tilted towards Tyus. Uh, but I do think we talked a little bit in, in part one of the season preview podcast uh, about uh, Amon Shumpert and the possibility of rumors coming out of Cleveland. Uh, you know, I, I think in any deal for him, Shabazz and or Tyus is included. Um, I think they both have good trade value. Um, in the past, we talked a little about Orgy Jang possibly being moved, but he showed how well he could play with Carl Anthony Towns. And we think that Tibbs very much likes Gorgi. I think he very much likes Bielitsa. Uh, there's really nobody else on the roster that sticks out as, hey, they're likely to be traded. So I would say, you know, taking pain off the table, I think it's Tyus Jones, Shabazz Muhammad. I think maybe the third person on that list would have to be Rubio, but I don't think I don't think there's any big moves made this year. I think that he's going to see Thibodeau's going to see Thibodeau's going to see how things shake out, and then next offseason may see a couple bigger moves. Um, you know, moving draft picks, moving current players to try and get. You know, I think we're going to talk a little bit about what we think the team looks like in 12 months. I think a lot of that change happens next summer, not necessarily during this season. Yeah, so let's stick on, uh, for now, at least what we expect to see this season. Thibodeau was brought in uh, in large part because of his defensive prowess. He's known as the best defensive coach in the NBA by many people. And you can already see some of that in the preseason. I, you know, I, I would say you can see a lot of it uh, in the preseason already, whether that translates or how up and down it is at the beginning of the season is one question. So this was a bottom five defensive team last year. Uh, they have been a fair amount in recent years, actually. Where do you think they finish this year in terms of, uh, you know, overall defensive rating or how, whatever statistic you want to use as a comprehensive defensive stat? And how quickly do you think that they're going to get to be, uh, you know, to make that leap? Is it going to be immediate or is it going to be halfway through the season? That kind of thing. I think we're going to see immediate results. Um, immediately we're going to be, I mean, we've already been able to tell to some extent in preseason how much more active they are on defense. And, and I don't think. <clears throat> You know, Thibodeau's not going to let that change. It's not going to be like a, hey, we have a new coach, let's play hard, and then kind of let it fall by the wayside. That's, you know, that's not going to be allowed. I'm going to say results are immediate. They finish 12th in the league in um, opponents' points allowed or defensive rating. Um, you know, on average, I'm going to say they're in the 12th, maybe 13th range. Um, I think Thibodeau's had a top 10 defensive team every year, but maybe one when he had crazy injuries, and I think it was close that year. Yeah, he had 11th, I think. Yeah, so I'm gonna say I'm gonna say 12th, uh, only because I think there's still a couple weak links. Um, we don't know exactly how Levine or Shabazz are gonna fit into this system, and Wiggins has to be more consistent. Bielitsa's, you know, that second unit could be a little rough uh, if you're playing Brandon Rush and Shabazz Muhammad. And uh, Manya Bielitsa as your two, three, four. None of those guys are good one-on-one defenders, and so you're relying on the scheme and on Aldrich and Dunn to really anchor that. Uh, so I think the starting unit will be easily a top ten defensive unit, uh, just based on that crazy athleticism and length. I mean, everybody is an above average for their position, uh, except Certainly. for Rubio, yeah, athlete, uh, and a, everybody for their position has above average length and wingspan, you know, across the board, including Rubio. So that starting lineup is going to be great. Except the, the bench. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, factor in his athleticism, uh, you know, and he's still he's still a, a tall, long player. Uh, so yeah, the bench is going to be iffy, and I think that's going to hold down that you know kind of put a ceiling on what the what the overall team defense will be. But I'm I'm going to say it's in the 
you know, 12, 13 range um, when it's all said and done next April. Yeah, I was going to say 10 to 15 as well. And I, I agree it's going to be a, an immediate significant jump. And I also think it's going to take another significant jump throughout the season. You've seen this with Thibodeau when he's, you know, when he came into Chicago, there was a huge immediate improvement. And I think you've seen uh, signs of that in the preseason with Minnesota as well, not just from him, but from what the players have been doing in the offseason. You see it, what you're going to see it most in immediately is just the, the sheer energy of it and what they were able to do in that, uh, in, in their preseason training camps. And that I don't, I don't know how well they, they try to turn this out, if they have any influence on their preseason schedule, but I know that they had their first preseason game later than most other teams. And so they had a long stretch where they could really just focus on camp and learning the fundamentals and the basics, and I think that's probably going to pay off. So I think early in the season you're going to see uh, you're going to see patches of brilliance in the defense. You're also going to see some head scratchers like you always do, or we always have with this team. But overall, it's going to be significantly improved, and they're going to take uh, another jump, you know, consistent jump throughout the season. Maybe jump's not the way to put it. They're going to be on a, a steady path upward. Yes. And I think, you know, I think to be conservative, not to be conservative, I, I would I would have to put about the same as you. I would say in the 10 to 15 range overall. Uh, but it wouldn't shock me if they go higher. Um, yep. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think I think you'll see some great dividends there. Well, yeah, and, and- – and also, you know, consider if they do make a move, a, a more significant move, you know, not a blockbuster, but something like an Amon Shumpert type move, that's probably going to go up because, you know, you, you bring him in either into the starting lineup or as your first guy off the bench, and his defense is going to be better than the guy he's replacing, so uh, most likely. So, yeah, I mean, de- depending moves as well, I mean, we could very well, it could be a, a pushing top 10 defense. Who's the 15th man on this team? Or, say, or see, now, if, you, if you're saying Payne's going to get brought out, I guess we're talking about 14th and 15th. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, I think they find a way to, make, to have both Rasul Butler and John Lucas III make the team. Uh, you know, both are on non-guaranteed contracts, but I think that that there's a level of comfort there for Tibbs, um, and I'd much rather his level of comfort be on his 12th through 15th guys on non-guaranteed contracts than – Doc Rivers and what he's doing with the Clippers. And, you know, obviously Doc's done a good job and he's a very good coach, but he hasn't been a good uh, acquirer of talent for that team. Um, You know, he's bringing in guys that are over the hill or or whatever. So I'd much rather have it be the way that that Tibbs is doing it, um, where it's it's, uh, filling out your roster with these veterans who who can still play. Um, So I'm going to say Payne's bought out and and both of those guys make the team. Terry Murray won't make the team. Uh, And it also gives some flexibility if he wants to make a move down the road. you know, to some of those guys or to wave those guys. But I think you're going to see the, the uh, roster rounded out with a couple of those veterans. I think that Butler is the most likely just because they've only got four wings, really. And yeah. so yep. if you if you cut if you cut or buy out Payne, I guess you buy out Payne, uh, who's on a, a low-end contract, so that shouldn't be too difficult, uh, then you can keep Lucas as well, and that makes sense to do so. Yep, and they've got they've got five bigs without Payne. I mean, right. with, with Jank Towns, Bielitsa, Aldrich, and Jordan Hill. Um, and they only have, like you said, four wings. So having a fifth wing at your disposal, obviously they've got plenty of depth at point guard. Um, if they don't move Tyus Jones, I still think they find a way to keep Lucas the third around. Uh, but if they do move Tyus Jones, obviously he's your third point guard. Yeah. What do you feel? Uh, let's get into what we think the major unknowns for this team are. Um, for me, they have a lot to do with Thibodeau, just because it's his first year. And we don't know what... 
We've heard a lot of stories about what he did with that year off and trying to grow as a coach and really getting outside of the bubble that he was in before and experiencing as much and learning as much as he could. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but he, he, could, he seems like he has the elements to be an all-time great coach if he is able to minimize his weaknesses. And I think minutes is a legitimate issue to bring up for some people. I think we don't know how he's going to do as a front office person. Is he going to be able to, you know, mostly trust Scott Layton and his team to do that sort of thing and just have that veto in his back pocket if he needs it or, the, you know, the final decision? So far, it looks like that's the case. Um, so, you know, I think th those, are, those are a couple of the unknowns for me. I think having a good bench, like we say that when we talked about how many minutes that group is going to play, that's going to be a good sign to me as to whether – he's willing to spread things out a little bit more, and I, I'm really going to be looking for that. Um, the two other things that I'll mention are the health of the team, where this team, I think, lost, if you take their six core under 26 players, last year they missed a total of, it was either seven or nine games to injury. Yeah. All but one of those were Ricky Rubio his first month back, and then Wiggins missed one. I can't even remember for what reason. They were extremely healthy last year. And so much of NBA success comes down to health. So yep. can they keep that up? And then the only other one I'll mention is, uh, will, will Andrew Wiggins be very good or will he turn into a star? Those are all really good. <laughs> I think um, the – so the, the minutes thing for me, um, I think it was – I was listening to a podcast. Um, it was one of the ESPN – NBA podcasts. Uh, oh, it was Jorge Sedano uh, and uh, Israel Gutierrez were talking through. They had a series of short podcasts, and they mentioned the Wolves as a potential kind of on the fence playoff team. And they brought up the minutes concern, and one of them said, "Well, hey, it's not like Tibbs is a robot. Like, let's not pretend like he couldn't have learned something or couldn't have made mm -hmm. some changes, and and he can't be completely tone deaf to the fact that maybe he overworked some players in Chicago." And well, I think that's true. I also don't know that we know that he would agree that that's a problem. Right. You know, we, we don't know. Um, so I think until we see otherwise, I, I'm not going to say it's a concern and it's certainly, you know, I would have, I would never have not hired him because of that concern. And I'm, I'm sure it was addressed in the interview process. I hope it was addressed. Uh, you know, we don't know, but it's, it's fair to wonder, like you said. Um, and so I don't want to harp on it until we get into December and all the starters are averaging 42 minutes a game or something crazy. Uh, so I think, yeah, that's, that's significant. Um, but I do think, that the bench unit, I think Thibodeau thinks enough of Bielitsa. He signed a guy like Aldridge. He didn't sign him to only play eight minutes a game. He signed him to play 15 minutes a game at least. And then he he's motivated to see Chris Dunn. So I think the only thing you're really concerned about minutes-wise, at least I'm concerned about, would be Levine and Wiggins uh, because their wings you know, are, are solid off the bench but not as good defensively with Brandon Rush and Shabazz Muhammad. So specifically, I'd worry about Wiggins wearing down a little bit because he's played – I think the most minutes in the NBA over the past two years combined. Um, and I'm not sure it's particularly close. I think it's him and Harden are kind of neck and neck. Um, so that would be my, my thing. And, and health is just, I hate to even talk about it, but it's, there's so much luck involved. And last year they had Arnie Kander and he's not on the staff this year. And who knows what, what that did, but it's hard to say he didn't have an effect. Uh, I know that they've beefed up that kind of, you know, nutrition and strength staff and conditioning staff a little bit again this year. Um, so that will always, always, always make me nervous. And last year was by far the, the year that the Wolves had the best luck in, in a long time. Uh, 
so those are kind of my big things, um, similar to yours. Um, I, you know, I guess the one, the one other one that I would add is I'm curious to see what the, uh, the front office structure and what their goals are. Uh, I think we both kind of agree that, that they've been smart. They've been on late enough. It's smart to leave the roster mostly as is since taking over. And we think that they'll probably do that for another, you know, nine months until we get to next off season. Um, but what if something comes up? What if, what if somebody gives you a godfather offer for Ricky Ruby or what if you can get him on Shumpert for, for on the cheap, um, but you know, you still got to It's going to mess with your rotation early on. Um, are they are they willing to pull the trigger on, on you know a borderline blockbuster type trade and, and mess with potential chemistry? Uh, you know, trade somebody they really haven't seen play up close, uh, or are they just going to let it ride and say you know kind of put blinders on and say let's wait until you know next summer before we make any moves? What's the philosophy going to be? What type of players are they going to go after? What do they think of the current roster? Um, I think the the Tibbs laden dynamic is going to be fascinating um, to watch. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, I think it's one of those things where we're not. I don't know that I'm, I'm not specifically worried about Thibodeau being able to do this. I'm worried about any coach that gets that job. Yeah. So some of them do well and some of them do not. Um, let me mention one other thing for on the health uh, side that I, I was listening to one of um, uh, uh, Jeff Locks. Is it Jeff Lock? Locked on basketball. I forget his first name. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, he's the he's the Utah Jazz uh, uh, voice of the uh, voice of the Utah Jazz on the radio, and he's does a lot of work on analytics. And he was talking about how he's he's noticed some correlation between uh, injuries and player weight, and there's a sweet spot for how big they are between 220 and 270. And players under that and players over 270 hmm. tend to get injured more often. Interesting. And Wiggins' listed weight is 199. And Zach's is 185. Now, I think they both put on some weight in the offseason, so I don't know where they're at now. But particularly for Wiggins, who goes to the line so much, it's one of the best parts of his games. His game, that that really that worries me as well. It's just, are, are they are they built for the long haul to be able to you know stay as healthy as they have been? Yeah, that that's an interesting point. I hadn't heard that. I mean, I, I would think the maybe not the majority, but certainly many forwards and, and big men are going to fall in that range. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I, I, he only mentioned it, so I haven't looked at the numbers myself, but sure. it makes some sense. Uh, you know, yeah. It made me think of Pekovic right off, of course. Yep, yep. And, and a lot of the centers who have gotten injured here the last uh, few years with their feet. Um, all right, so let's, uh, let's move on to uh, predictions for the end of this season. Um, team awards. Who's your uh, who's your most improved player this year going to be? I'm going uh, Nemanja Bjelica. I think that uh, he will be more comfortable. We talked about this a little bit in part one, but I think he'll be more comfortable with the NBA game. I think Thibodeau is going to go out of his way to make him feel comfortable and to even run plays for him, use him as the ball handler in the pick and roll, both with Towns and Aldrich and, and whoever else um, he pairs him with. Um, I don't know that Sam Mitchell made that a priority at all last year. Um, I know that actually I know that he didn't. It was more of a, you know, he's on the floor. We'll see what he can do. And, and he didn't respond well to Mitchell's coaching and, and not everyone did. And, and that's okay. But I think that Thibodeau has gone out of his way to make sure that Bielitz is involved. He knows that if, if he gets enough attempts, he's a high thirties to 40% three point shooter. who can also handle the ball at six foot 11. The biggest question mark is defense, but we've seen Thibodeau work with big men who aren't great defenders and, and make them, 
plus players. So I think we see a concerted effort to keep him involved as a weapon, as a stretch for. Um, and so I think we're going to see minutes, you know, with the minutes and the opportunity increase and the confidence, you know, improvement in confidence. I think we're going to see a great year from uh, Bielitsa. Yeah, I think that's a very good one to go with. And I think in terms of if you want to say percentage wise, given the number of minutes that he plays, that might be the pick. Uh, to, to mix things up, I'll, I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with either Levine or Wiggins, and I'm pro- I think I'm going to go with Levine, just in in part because you know Wiggins' uh, development has been sporadic in the past, where he's taken big jumps mid-season, he's often gone off to slow starts. I say often, he's only played two seasons, but could happen. Um, neither one of those would surprise me at all. I'm going to go with Levine just because in part because. A lot of people don't know how much better he was already in the second half of last year. Uh, he's got a you know, he's got a whole year to know exactly where he's playing. He works extremely hard, and I think if he can just if he's uh, if he's got enough to get the the team defensive concepts and the team offensive concepts, he could take a, a really big leap forward. But I think the Wolves are in an enviable position where they've got a bunch of guys who are going to take significant leaps forward, or at least who are well equipped to do so. Um, most disappointing. Um, so this partly, re- you know, this largely relies on what people's expectations are. So I'm going to yep. say, I'm going to say Chris Dunn, simply because he had such a great summer league and he's got tons of talent, but I think people are expecting going to expect him to be too good, too fast. And I think he, you know, he's an older, uh, draft pick where he's 22 already, and he's going to provide some real value off the bench, but I think it's maybe going to take a little longer than people think for him to get to be uh, a good NBA player. Yeah, I I hate when we pick the same player, but he was, <laughs> he was the one that I went to immediately to um, because of the expectations, and, and I guess that's the that's you know, the premise of this question, but I think that um, it just all the, even the, the NBA.com GM survey, which we haven't really talked about, but I'm sure you saw um, from last week, that some crazy number of GMs that predicted it was actually 46.7. Yes. So basically the, the half of the who would start their team with uh, picking towns. <laughs> right. Well, yes, half half the GMs would start their team with a second year player, which is just nuts. But also half of them pick Chris Dunn to win the rookie of the year. Like and the next highest was Buddy Heald at 13.3% right. and Ben Simmons tied there. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know if they're all assuming that Ricky Rubio is going to get traded and Dunn's going to get this crazy opportunity and he's going to be running with Wiggins and Levine and Towns all year. But I just – there isn't much precedent. And I get he was a, a four-year player. I get he's 22 already. There isn't much precedent for a college point guard coming into the NBA and being a, a really good player as a rookie. Um, it, and I think so much of this is, is to do with his age and his supporting cast. And so people say, well, the people around him are so much better than, say, Simmons with the Sixers or – uh, you know, Ingram with the Lakers. So I get I get that line of thinking, but I also think that Dunn's going to play less minutes than maybe people are expecting. Um, and when he does, he's going to struggle with turnovers. Um, I guess the, the advantage early in the year is he's going to play against backup point guards, um, and so he should be bigger and stronger than many of them, and he should get a lot of steals. But in the preseason at least, and, and we're only talking preseason against largely backups that Dunn was playing against, the game just seemed too fast for him. He... Um, it seemed like he was trying to play fast to keep up with the game, but was telegraphing, you know, skip passes and, you know, clanking turnaround mid-range jumpers and getting to the rim impressively and then not finishing. Um, 
I think he's going to be a good NBA player, and I, I don't dislike Chris Dunn. I think he's going to be a good player. I really do, and probably even this year. But I, I think we need to slow down, and by we I mean largely the national media uh, needs to slow down on, on you know calling him the point guard of the future and, and the rookie of the year this year because the expectations are a little out of control. There's so much on a rookie point guard's shoulders, and not just any rookie point guard, but one that turned the ball over quite a bit in college. Yeah. Um, and that's going to be his number one issue. I think he'll be a good enough shooter, and he's big enough and athletic enough. And he's going to be a plus defender, I think, day one. But he's going to turn the ball over a lot, and and maybe that won't factor into rookie of the year voting. But I think it will be disappointing to um, to folks nationally, um, and maybe just because he'll play less. Maybe because Tibbs will see that, and he'll play less, and he'll play Rubio more, and then the narrative will be, well, Don hasn't gotten the playing time, and so, you know, whatever. And, and that may be what it turns into. Yeah, I, I think he'll be a pretty good player by the second half of the season. But yeah, sure. But yeah. A little bit of a rocky road to start with. Um, how about, you know, where do you think he finishes in the rookie of the year voting? I, I'm going to say around fifth. And if I think, I think if he's healthy, I think Embiid is the guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then I think, you know, Jamal Murray could be ahead of him if he gets enough minutes. It's um, almost, right. it's almost like you're reading my notepad right now. <laughs> um, Darn it. No, I, I was going to say I was actually going to put him third um, just because I do think he'll get enough minutes to, to be in the conversation. But I had I have Buddy Heald and Joel Embiid ahead of him and then Jamal Murray fourth and uh, Brandon Ingram fifth mm-hmm. in rookie of the year voting. I think uh, for Heald, I think playing with Anthony Davis and, and with a lot of pretty good players, he'll get an opportunity. Eventually he'll start and he'll make a bunch of threes and it'll be impressive and so it's either going to be him and depending on health it could be Embiid uh, I'd go 1A1B there and then I'd put Dunn third uh, I mean Dunn's you know barring a, an unexpected trade he's not even going to start so I it's going to be a player with more opportunity uh, that's going to get more minutes and also have a good supporting cast which is why I landed on Heald Embiid if he's healthy is just a freak and so that's certainly possible and, and, and Heald uh, is in a, in a good situation if only because New Orleans doesn't have any shooters uh, so they have a lot of a either. lot of players at that position that can't shoot. Yes, uh, it kind of reminds me of Chicago a little bit, uh, where they've got uh, you know they got Rondo and Butler and uh, Wade as their you know three of their big minutes guys. There, none of them shoot threes. And Michael Carter Williams now. It's, <laughs> oh, it's, it's a... like they're the the anti you know team from the anti 2016-17 team. They're just trying to get as many bad three-point shooters as possible. I heard about a great tweet about the Michael Carter-Williams for Tony Snell trade, which was, it's like trading a musket for a drawing of a gun. <laughs> one of them is not going to shoot the way you want it to, and one of them doesn't even, you can't do anything with. <laughs> That's really good. It was, yeah. All right, poor, so... Poor Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, I, I don't envy him and what's been put together there, unfortunately. Um all right, so back to the team awards. Who is um, who's your bench MVP? I think you probably already said it. Yeah, I said Bielitsa, um, but you know, I hate to say the same guy again. So I'm gonna if I had to pick somebody else, I'd go Brandon Rush. I think that um, I I uh, wax poetic about him in part one already, but I think that the uh, his ability to shoot threes is going to be such a breath of fresh air for Wolves fans, um, and not just shoot threes, but also play solid team defense and make the extra pass and always be in the right place at the right time. There's a lot there that people, I mean, he hasn't played minutes, significant minutes in five years. He's now, I think three or four years removed from his ACL injury. Um, and so I think he's got one, maybe two years, good years left in him where he can play 15 to 20 minutes. And, and, you know, he's going to score, he's probably going to shoot 40%. He's going to have a lot of spacing depending on who he's playing with. 
uh, and he's going to score some points this year. Yeah, I think that's a legitimate answer. I'll go, you know, I, I would probably say Bielitsa as well, but I would go as a second guy as Cole Aldrich because I think he's a guy who in limited minutes is extremely efficient and just does a whole lot of his advanced stats are great. And I think, uh, you know, the, the value he's going to give you per minute is going to be excellent. And I think he, yeah. he'll probably be a fan favorite, not just because he's from Minnesota. Uh, let's see. How about, is it even fair to ask who the, just the regular old MVP of this team is going to be? Is there, is there any doubt or? <sighs> no, Maybe I should ask no, there's who, not. Who's, who's, let's, let's ask it this way. Who's second behind Towns? Um, I'm going to say Ricky Rubio. He was uh, last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Levine and Wiggins are tempting, but I think both of those guys are going to, they're both going to take steps forward like we expect them to, uh, you know, again, provided health, um, because I think they're both going to get a ton of shots up and be, be play good enough defense in, uh, in Tibbs system. So I think it's going to be Ricky Rubio because if he stays healthy again, we have, we have to mention it and plays like he did last year and maybe improves just a little bit from the field, whether it's at the rim or, or from, you know, outside the arc or both, um, He's he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink, and he's got to get the ball on time and on target to Levine, Wiggins, and Towns. So besides the obvious one in Towns, it's going to be Rubio. Um, and if he goes down, I mean, or if he doesn't play well and Dunn gets more minutes, um, you know, it, it could get ugly pretty quick if if you're giving heavy minutes to a rookie point guard and Chris Dunn. I think yeah, Rubio makes a lot of sense. I'll go with Wiggins to mix it up a little bit. I, I, you know, I could take either either one of them uh, easily. Because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that gamble that he has improved a significant amount in the offseason here uh, on his ball handling and his shooting is gonna hold up from the second half of last season and if so he's already got a lot of other stats to put with that in terms of scoring and uh, going to the line and how efficient he is there at least so um, but yeah there's there there are a few candidates for that for that question. Yep. Um, Let's see. Uh, okay, so let's do best and worst case scenario for this team. So this is this is barring major injuries. What is the what's the realistic best case for this team, and what's the realistic worst case? Um, okay, so we haven't we haven't talked about this previously. I just want to say that. Mm-hmm. So if depending on where we end up, where this wasn't uh, weren't planning this, um, I'm going to say worst case scenario for the team, given you know reasonable health is 37 wins mm-hmm. uh, it on the one hand it's kind of crazy that worst case is still an eight game improvement but I, I really do believe in Thibodeau as a coach and, and in this roster and, and simply natural improvement by by these talented players and also a better bench so I think 37 wins would, would be a disappointment to be you know given reasonable health best case I'm going to go with uh, I, I was very reasonable with this and and hopefully <laughs> I was too reasonable. I'm going to go with 47 wins. Um, I do think that's maybe a little optimistic. And and if I had to say, you know, if I had to say what my most likely scenario was, I would go with uh, with 44 wins, 43 or 44. Uh, I guess gun to my head, I'll go 43 wins. Uh, so best case of 47. I mean, that would obviously be a playoff seed, probably fifth or sixth. Um, and in that scenario, Towns is a borderline league MVP. Um, you know, Levine and Wiggins are bona fide starting wings and borderline stars. Rubio stays healthy and, and is a consistent player and, and is still the starting point guard at the end of the year. Um, so yeah, I think 
I think uh, to expect a jump of more than 18 wins would be really aggressive. Uh, although I think Tibbs' first year in Chicago, he was in that neighborhood. So I think 47 is, is not crazy. Yeah, you've seen it a couple of times with the Thunder a few years ago as well. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you look at the you know the overall stats, this team won 29 last year, but I think they were expected to win 31. Yeah, So true. They, they a little bit underperformed in win total. Um, I think best-case scenario that what Tibbs is trying to teach takes hold quickly. We talked a little bit about this already. I think the defensive effort, we're seeing it already. The energy is there. Uh, it's just a question of how quickly they get it down and you know when it really takes hold during the year. Uh, Wiggins and Levine keep hitting threes. The, the, the second half of last year was not a mirage, and other guys like Muhammad – uh, you know, hit, the, hit their better levels that they hit a couple of years ago. Wiggins' ball handling uh, improves and he rounds out his game, so he's getting more than just scoring. He's getting assists and rebounds, that sort of thing. And Towns takes all those next steps, is, is a good leader of the team, and obviously health is, is an issue. Uh, Worst-case scenario, of course, is injuries. That's the worst case for every team. But I think more so that it just takes a long time to gel around the new style and they start slowly. And that uh, you know Wiggins and Levine don't take as big a steps as they as people are expecting them to at least right off. So you know I think I think worst case is probably about what you say. I'd maybe peg it about 38. I'd go higher on the optimistic scenario. I think they could get to 50. Um, I'm not predicting it, but I think if everything goes right, that would not shock me at all. There's so much talent on the team. They seem to be achieving it earlier than a lot of people in these cases would think uh, would, particularly with Towns. I mean, to be that good that fast is amazing. So um, that seems like a realistic range to me. I would, I would have, if I'm going to predict, I would go maybe about 45. Um, yep. But nothing in that range would shock me. Uh, I guess the lower end would surprise me somewhat. Because yep. I, I, I think they're going to take a big leap. I think they're, this team maybe not this year, maybe next year, could be, just in terms of how the NBA fan base views them, they could be like Golden State a couple of years ago where they're a lot of people's favorite team. Particularly if they're, if, because people are going to be looking for, well, who could who could actually unseat Golden State, right? And this will be the young team that people think, well, maybe a couple of years, maybe they'll be able to. That's yeah. going to earn them a lot of fans, I think. So. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say the the Vegas over under is forty and a half, um, and I think by and large what I've been seeing the NBA TV preview, which was okay, uh, they've done a half hour show on each of the teams um, and a few of the different things I've seen out there. People are taking the over, but barely, mm-hmm. so the the forty one forty two win range, um, which probably is enough, you know, for an eight seed. Um, so I think we're seeing kind of the baseline. People are saying, yeah, they're going to squeak into the playoffs, and uh, you know, I do a. I'm part of an NBA over under pool every year where we pick five teams over under. And there were a few of those Kevin Love years I picked Wolves over and then injuries and stuff burned me. And so I'm, I'm nervous to pick them over again because I don't, I don't want to jinx anything. But 40.5 seems uh, seems a little low for the over under for the Wolves this year. What I view it as a little bit is if you look at the history of teams in this position, you're probably going to end up a little bit lower in your prediction. Right. If you look at the specifics about this team, I end up higher. And, you know, Thibodeau in particular, for instance, you, just what he's been able to do where he's been before and how quickly he's been able to instill a system, what he did in his first year in Chicago. Because that Chicago team that won, what did they win that first year, 62 games, something like that? Yeah, yeah. This team has more, a lot more talent than that team has. 
And when I say talent, I mean upside potential. This team has a more a significantly more of it, I think, than that Chicago team did. Now they're they're certainly not there yet, but he's shown how quickly he can move things. And uh, you know, I, I you know I'm still not predicting it's going to gel in, in November necessarily, but uh, that and what what Towns did and how much he exceeded expectations, how much he improved throughout the course of last year. There's just a lot of things that seem to me to point in a little bit more in the upside direction. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a stretch this year, and this is maybe not really a profound statement, but I think there's going to be a stretch this year where they get hot and they win eight to ten games in a row, or you know, twelve out of fourteen or something, and and it feels like, oh man, this is a this is a home court advantage team in the West, and then they're going to hit a rough patch right after that, and I think it's going to be how the young players kind of overcome that and, and make sure that. Um, you know that they stay level-headed and, and realistic. Like this team should make the playoffs this year. I think I think it's fair to say that. Uh, but we shouldn't expect this team to be a you know a conference finals team quite yet. And I think the player you know we want the players to think that that's possible. Uh, but you know I, I think Tibbs might be battling with with keeping expectations in check for some of the players and and really the process for for what this is likely to look like. And you know could they surprise everyone and, and be a top four team in the West? It's possible, uh, but it's certainly not likely. And so um, as fans and as players and as coaches, everybody, it's going to be tough to keep expectations in check. But at the same time, I mean, Wolves fans, it's been 12 years. So, you know, I guess go crazy, right? Yeah. Well, here's how I put it. I, I thought about this before and I forgot to mention. Uh, I think this team will be playing like a 50-win team by the end of the season. It's just a question of how fast they get to be playing like that. Yep. I think that's fair. Um, let's speculate a little bit more to close this out on what we're looking at the uh, beginning of next year uh, in terms of contracts going forward. So do, do Gorgie Jang and Shabazz Muhammad, are they on the team next year, uh, the beginning of next year, meaning will they have signed contracts or will they, will they have left by free agency or trade? When I say Gorgie, yes. Shabazz, no. Do you think they're going to be able to afford Gorgie? That's my only question. I think they'd love to keep him, but yeah. a guy with his skill set, I mean, you could see him getting $15, $20 million a year. And, You're right. And can, um, can they keep that? I mean, I think so much depends on – this is kind of a cop-up, but so much depends on how he fits in Tibbs' system this year. But I think – and maybe I'm weighting this a little bit too heavily, but we've heard the, the rumors that Tibbs wanted to draft him when the Bulls drafted Tony Snell a few years ago. Right. Um, and he does seem to fit you know, the wingspan, the ability to pass um, – for a big man mobility. Um, and if he's really a better one-on-one defender now after gaining significant strength and weight and you know, muscle weight this off season, um, I, I think, I think they do pay him. Um, I'm a little less sure about, you know, and Belitz has got one more year in his contract, so they can go then one more year with those two. And then after that, you know, Belitz is 30 or so. And so maybe he goes and, and where he stays. Um, but you know, Shabazz, I think is too, unique of a player and I'm not sure will fit long term with, with Thibodeau's system. So I think it's more likely to pay Gorgie and, and I if I had to say, you know, in a vacuum, would they pay him? I would say yes. And then the final and I, I think, yeah, I, I, I'm not uh, I'm not too off on those. I I haven't figured out on Jang. I don't know that Muhammad's probably gonna be here. I, I would probably bet yep. against, but just with how much in contracts they have coming up. Um, but it, obviously, it, a lot of it depends on how much they're willing to, to you know, pay for and what the market is. Um, and let's close with Zach and Wiggins. Do you know both of them will be eligible for extensions at the end of next year? 
Um, will presumably they're going to re-sign both if they don't get traded. Yep. Will they offer them contracts right away at the when they're become eligible? Will they wait for restricted free agency? And does Zach get a max deal? That's tough. Um, I don't. I'll be the first to admit I don't know the ins and outs of the of the CBA and what the cap's going to look like. I just know it's going up. Um, but they'll be able to afford more than a couple max contracts. Correct? Is that? Yeah, I, yeah. I think well, you know, typically three, just depending on how much you want on the bench, though. If that's always yeah. a consideration. I think, I think Wiggins, yes, um, and, and this isn't what I necessarily what I would do, but I think they they offer Wiggins the max as soon as they can, and I think they maybe let Zach Levine de- again, depending on this year, they may let him test the market as there could be, you know, he might not be a max level player. It's crazy. We're talking about this a year ago. We were talking about how he was barely worthy of being in the rotation, but it's funny what happens when you play somebody in the right spot and, and they improve. Well, um, well, you remember the, uh, one of our last podcasts last year, my question to you was what's the percentage chance that Levine has a better career than Wiggins has. Yeah. It's, no, it's, and, and it's at least debatable. It is. And, and I think the defensive upside is, is the only reason really why you can cons- constant, you can confidently say Wiggins, um, because and his ability to get to the line on offense, but as a shooter, as a ball handler, at getting to the rim, even Levine's better than Wiggins. And so it's it's the defensive upside and the ability to get to the free throw line. And, and he has a Wiggins more well-rounded has. game. He gets a lot of mm-hmm. other stats. Right, and he sh- well he should, and he should be a better rebounder, but he's not really. Um, so again, well, I mean, yeah, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, it's tough. Um, well, cause, yeah, because we're speculating on how well they're, how much of a jump they're going to take this year, obviously. Right. So it's really a question of that. I mean, if if they both take the jump that I think that they will, I think that they both probably do get max or close to that. But you know, there's so much we don't know. Right. Well, and, and you got to figure Tibbs came here to coach the guys that are that are with the team. I mean, obviously Towns, but Wiggins is is not far off from I think what Tibbs was thinking. He sees him as a potentially better version of Jimmy Butler. He's got a lot of work to do, but absolutely a potentially better version uh, of Jimmy Butler. And, uh, you know, Levine was probably almost kind of a bonus. Uh, and so that's why I think maybe Wiggins is a little more likely to, to get that money. And, and maybe Levine, they let him test the market and see if somebody overpays for a, for a bouncy athletic dunker with a three-point shot like Levine. Uh, but I'd love to see them both stay with the team long-term, and it wouldn't shock me if, if they made it work. Uh, very excited, both of us. I think you can tell our – well, maybe you can't, uh, but I got a dry <laughs> sense of humor, so this is exciting for me. What can I tell you? Uh, season starts next week. When is the first game? Is it Tuesday, Wednesday? Uh, first NBA game is Tuesday. Wolves opener is Wednesday in Memphis. And then they've got a weird – the opening schedule is very weird for the Wolves. They only play, like – Every two or three days, they play in Memphis Wednesday, and then they go to Sacramento on Saturday for like a one-game West Coast swing, and then they come back and play at home. I think like uh, Tuesday or something. Oh. Uh, it's a very odd opening schedule. Well, very much looking forward to it. I think uh, most fans out there are as well. This should be an exciting team this year. That'll do it for our 2016-17 preview, and uh, we will talk to you in a bit after the season starts. To for more of the No Frills Wolves podcast. See you, Ben. We'll see you.